You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Good to be with you. Good to see you. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're continuing in our series called Unveiled. And as you turn to Mark chapter 10, you're going to see that our passage this morning, you're going to see that Jesus is going to teach about marriage and divorce. Mark chapter 10. Jesus is teaching about marriage and divorce. And so before we dive in this morning, I just, I just want to be honest with you and be transparent here. Um, I felt the tension this week. I felt a genuine tension this week as I prepared. Because on the one hand, we know that we are uncompromisingly committed to Scripture. Amen? Right? We, we know. We want the truth. We want God's Word. We know that we are disciples and we need Him to teach us. And so, yes, we want to know, as disciples of Jesus, how do we approach marriage? How does God's family approach things like marriage and divorce and family? Now, we know that God is calling us to be a countercultural Jesus movement, and we want our lives to look more like his family than just the kingdom of the world. And so on the one hand, yes, speak loud and clear, Lord. And on the other hand, the reality is we just fall so short. The reality is that we're in so much need of grace and mercy. And so I don't think that there's a num- any person in this room who, as they hear God's perfect truth, would puff out their chest and say, nailed it. All right. Every single one of us, we hear God's truth. We hear his commandments. And when we compare it to our own lack of perfection, our response is, woe is me. I fall so short. And so divorce is no different. You know, when you, typically when you begin a message about divorce, you, you, your instinct is, let me go find some statistics, right? And as I was writing this week, I go, we don't need stats, do we? Who needs more stats? We all, all of us, have felt the blast radius of divorce. And so what happens is, right, we, we experience pain, we experience shame, we experience embarrassment, and it can cause us to, to shy away from what God has to say to us. We allow the pain to, to, to create in us a desire to just avoid it. And even now, right, as the subject is brought up, there's something that can cause us to just become a little bit more guarded and a little bit more on edge and a little bit more, hmm, We'll see what this has to say. Felt the tension this week. And so here's what I propose as your pastor, church. Let's trust him. Let's come to him. And not only will we hear from him the way to walk, we will also find grace in his arms. We can trust him. 
we can come to him and listen to his full gospel truth, and we will find a God who is so powerful and so sovereign that he can redeem even the broken parts of our story and use them in beautiful ways. Let's come to him. And we will find a God who is already aware of your weakness, and he loves you anyway. We'll find a God who doesn't just look down at how helpless we are against sin, but he does something about it and he came to set us free. Friends, I believe that this morning if we open up our hearts to the Lord, we will find a God who doesn't condemn us for our fickle hearts, but transforms them by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so are you willing to come to him this morning? Is anyone else in this room willing to open their heart and to hear what God has to say on a subject that a lot of people are already talking about anyway. And here's my prayer. That as we look at this passage, that his truth would not just engage our minds, but that it would seep down and, 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 and reach us at the, at the level of intentions. That it would speak to our motivations at the heart level. Can we say this morning, can we in faith come to God and say, Lord, you are Lord of every aspect of my life. And I trust you, not my will, but yours be done. Amen? Amen. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the passage. I'm going to show you three points, three things that Jesus has to say about marriage and divorce here. And then at the end of this message, I want to spend a few moments just answering some of the what nows. Okay? Is that fair? So what is this passage saying? And then what are we going to do about it? So let's go ahead. Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read the entire passage, and then we'll go and break it down. So I encourage you, right, if, you, if you're here at East Point, like, have your Bibles open. Look at the front row. Look at all of them. Bibles open. I love it. We, we are a people of the book, and so you want to follow along? I'll be the first to tell you. Don't take my word for it. Double check, all right? Proofread, peer review, right? Everything comes out of this book, and so we follow along, underline, highlight, do whatever you got to do, but this is God's word for his church this morning. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to him, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Lord, as we open up your word, would you open up our hearts? We lay them bare before you and we ask you to speak to us in the way that only you can, marrying grace and truth. And so we love you, we trust you, and we're listening. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, let's dive in. First five verses. Let's read it one more time, nice and slow. Look what it says. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. 
And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Let's pause right there, okay? The first thing that Jesus is teaching us is this. While we examine the laws, Jesus examines our hearts. While we examine the laws, Jesus examines our hearts. You see, the Pharisees, they tried to pull Jesus into an ongoing debate. Right off the bat, right off the bat Mark tells us that Pharisees are on the scene, and yet again, they are trying to test Jesus, which tells me this is not a genuine inquiry about divorce. Excuse me, Jesus. This is not a, a humble curiosity where they're really eager to learn. No, no. They are coming, and they want to trip him up. They're trying to trap him in his words so that they can undercut his influence and remain unchallenged in their positions. And so what do they do? They pull him into one of the hottest debates of his day. Everybody, this is the, this is the Twitter wave war of their day. And they say, Jesus, we want you to weigh, uh, weigh in here. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful? See, this was a debate that was raging. And the debate centered on a Bible passage, which was Deuteronomy 24. Everybody say, Deuteronomy 24. Very good, all right? And so this is a debate on Deuteronomy 24. And let's just read it. Let me show you what it says, and I'll, I'll explain why it's a debate. In Deuteronomy 24, Moses says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and then the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. All right, we're going to unpack that, trust me. But here's the debate. What did Moses mean when he said indecency? What, what was Moses thinking? What qualified? What is an indecency that triggered this divorce process and policy? And so there was a war. There was a raging debate. And so there was one rabbi. His name was Hillel. His friends called him Hillel. Okay? And he said, indecency means unfaithfulness. So there's only one reason for triggering this divorce policy. If your spouse was sexually unfaithful, then you get the divorce. And so he had his own school of thought. He had his own followers and disciples and university. And colloquially, they called it one cause divorce. And so that's Hillel. You can, you can leave your spouse. The, the indecency that Moses had in mind was sexual immorality, unfaithfulness. That one cause is the reason for separating from your spouse. Well, there was another dude 
another rabbi, and he was much more liberal. His name was Shammai, and he said, no, 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 no. Indecency is in the eye of the beholder. And so whatever you consider to be indecent, go for it. Cut her loose. And so we have documents. We see stories of where men would cite on their certificate, she burned the meal. I found another more fair. She should have kept up. Whatever reason you want. And so colloquially, his school was called any cause divorce. This is the debate. What are the legal outs? What qualifies as indecent? What, what are the things that legally allow me to trigger this divorce process? And so if you read this, this same exchange in Matthew, you've probably read this hundreds of times and never noticed it. But look what it says. Same scene. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You see, Matthew's contextualizing it to his Jewish audience. He's showing us this is the heart of the debate. Is it one cause or is it any cause? And let me just let you guys take a stab at it. Which interpretation do you think was most popular? Mm-hmm. Which interpretation prevailed in the day? The more permissive divorce policy. And this is where the Pharisees were. The Pharisees, they subscribed to the more permissive divorce policy, and they intended to keep it that way. And they are not allowed to let Jesus and his pesky little teachings challenge the status quo. And so Jesus, weigh in here. Come on, we want to debate you. We want to publicly discredit you. Come on, let's weigh in here. Can we or can't we get divorced? What do you think are the legitimate outs, Jesus? Are you one cause or any cause? And they seek to test them. And if you know Jesus, you know that he hardly ever answers those questions. Jesus doesn't engage in those debates. He doesn't answer their question. He always questions the heart of the asker. When people come with hard hearts to test him, Jesus doesn't answer the question. He questions the heart of the asker, and that's what he does here. He doesn't engage the debate. He diagnoses their hearts, and so look what he says. He goes, well, what did Moses command you? See, he knows what the heart of the debate is. He knows what passages they're debating. What did Moses command you? And for a moment, perhaps, they think, we got him. We got him right where we want because we know the law. Woo, we know the legal ease. We know the ins and the outs. We know what Shammai says. We know what Hillel says. We know what their cousins say. Oh, we can, we can debate all day here, Jesus. Let me tell you what, what Moses said. You see, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate and send her away because you see, Hillel says, Arr! and Jesus cuts him off right there because Jesus has no intention of debating what Moses said. He pulls the chair out from underneath him. He turns left. He pivots. And he says, no, no, I want to show you why Moses said it. I don't want to debate what Moses meant when he wrote it. I want to debate why Moses had to write it in the first place. And he says point blank, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this. Israel's hearts were hard. They were, they were so flippant about marriage, they were so unfaithful to their spouses at the heart level that divorce was rampant. It was casual. I'm getting my hair done. I'm getting a divorce. It was just like that. And so Moses, he introduces a policy here to discourage the practice. 
He introduces a policy to mitigate and put a limit on the devastation that happens when one spouse leaves the other for someone else. And so Moses didn't write this to encourage a practice. He wrote this to mitigate a problem. Moses didn't write Deuteronomy 24 to tell us what to do. He was telling us, he was limiting the damage for hard hearts and the devastating consequences of casual divorce. That's the why. And so notice what Jesus says here. He doesn't say, Moses wrote this because of their hard hearts. You see that? Look at the words, friends. It's inspired. Look at the words. He doesn't say Moses wrote this because of their hard hearts. He said Moses wrote this because of your hard hearts. You see, for Jesus, this is not a history lesson. It's current events. The same problem that Moses faced in his people is the same problem standing before Jesus now in the Pharisees. Hard hearts that are unfaithful toward their spouse. He's dealing with flippant attitudes that treat marriage like a temporary contractual agreement rather than a permanent covenant. And so he says, because of your hard hearts. Excuse me, Jesus, we weren't alive yet. No, no, no. He is lumping them in with their ancestors because he's calling them out. You are more concerned with seeking the outs of marriage than studying God's design for marriage. They're looking for legal loopholes so that they can hide their desire to move on from their spouse behind a mask of spirituality. They're looking for legal loopholes because they are trying to put their desire to be with another person behind a mask of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. They're playing the can I, can't I game. Am I allowed? Because technically, and their spiritual justification is, well, Moses allowed me. I want you to imagine a person who takes out a million-dollar loan. That's some serious money, right? million bucks. Take out a loan, and so people are there, and the lawyers are there, and everybody's saying, this is, this is a big commitment that you're committing to. And they're sitting down, and as they get to the final signature, as they're signing the last document, before the ink is even dry, they say, well, uh, I was just wondering, under what circumstances can I legally get away with not paying this loan back? How many of y'all are calling a timeout real quick, right? What? Well, hold on, wait, wait, what did you say? I, I'm just saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah, but I was just wondering, like, under what circumstances can I get away with uh, not having to pay this back? Now, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I would find it hard to not question the intentions of their heart. And color me judgmental, color me cynical, but I have some serious doubts that they have any intention of fulfilling the original design of this loan. Am I right? And in the same way, Jesus sees their questions, and he says, you are seeking the outs more than you're striving for the design. And any time that a person is seeking the outs more than they're reflecting on the design, that is a telltale sign of hardness of heart. You see, friends, while we examine the laws, Jesus examines our hearts. 
when we come to Jesus and we're asking questions, right? Because we have questions. When we're asking questions about marriage and divorce, we see that for Jesus, the biggest question, the most important question is not the statutes of the law, but the status of our hearts. There's no hiding from Jesus. He just has this way of of getting after our underlying motivations. He has this way of just challenging us. Are you seeking the outs or are you striving for the design? He he opens our chest, right? And he just x-rays our heart and he says, have you given up in your hearts already? And you're just looking for legal loopholes. Have we allowed our hearts to wander after, after someone who's not our spouse? But now we're just backtracking to find some grounds for this. Friends, Jesus will not let them and he will not let us examine the laws more than we examine our hearts. He will not allow us to seek the outs more than we consider the design. And that's where one of their problems is. They're looking at the wrong passages. They're they're reading the wrong scripture verses trying to learn about marriage by reading, a pa- by reading Moses' passage on divorce is like trying to learn how to fly an airplane, but all you're reading is what to do in the events of an emergency landing. I want to learn how to fly a plane. Okay, on page 56, you're going to see what to do in the event of a crash landing. You're not going to be very good at flying that plane. I'm not getting on your plane. And so in the same way, Jesus says, you're not going to learn how to experience a soaring, God-glorifying, God-designed marriage if all you're studying is a passage on divorce. We're not getting God's heart for marriage by studying the emergency exit plan. And so where do we look? Where should we turn? What, What scripture should we look at for an appropriate conversation about marriage and divorce? Well, Jesus takes us there and he flips back in his Bible and he invites us to do the same. Verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. The second thing that Jesus teaches us is that we can't discuss divorce without considering God's design. We can't discuss divorce. We we can't have a productive conversation about this, Pharisees, without considering God's design. You see, by focusing on an isolated text, they have divorced it from the heartbeat of the author himself. And so he says, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back and let's hear what the design and the intention of marriage was in the beginning. And so we see three things about this design. And he starts an expositional sermon on Genesis 1 and 2. And he says, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, God, from the, but from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. From the beginning of creation. First thing we see, marriage is old. Marriage is a divine design. And we can't allow ourselves to think that we've created marriage as a social construct, as a tax beneficial solution. This was not a social construct. This was not our idea. It goes back. He says, in the beginning, he created male and female. 
And the union of these two sexes, the joining together, was his plan from the beginning. He wasn't just creating model A and model B of human. No, no, friends. These are not two separate designs. He designed humanity as two complementary halves of one whole. He made the heavens. He made the earth. He made the birds. He made the fish. He also made the bees. He made man. He made woman. He made marriage. And so here's his point. We can't have a conversation about marriage without inviting the designer to sit at the table. When we step back and remember that he's the designer of marriage, we realize that the designer knows best. And so we allow his words to weigh the most. Because marriage is a divine design. Look what else he says. He says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Not only is marriage a divine design, but the design is a permanent union. The design is a permanent union. This is the idea. This is the blueprint of what he drew up. In God's mind, he said, as a man leaves his family of origin and marries his wife, he's not just hashtag adulting. I said he's not just hashtag adulting. Car, college, career, find a spouse. This is not just another natural step in the game of life. He says when man and woman come together, there is something supernatural at play here. It's not hashtag adulting. In Genesis, the Hebrew word, it says, and a man shall cling to his wife. Do you know what that Hebrew word cling means? It's the Hebrew word for super glue. Not Velcro. That's a different Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word for super glue. It says, a man shall hold fast. A man shall be joined together. They are forming a new permanent family unit, just like his mother and father did before him. The two shall become one. Friends, their togetherness becomes a greater defining quality of their lives than their individuality. And I know we don't like that as Americans, right? Like, I'm me. I'm, I'm myself. I'm my own person. Yeah, you are, but you know what's even more important about you? The two shall become one. One unit in the sign of God. A permanent union. This is not a temporary arrangement. These are not roommates living in close proximity to each other. These are not business partners. They are one inseparable unit that cannot come apart nonchalantly. And to try to remove one from the other causes violence to the whole. Two shall become one. That's, that's wild, isn't it? And so to illustrate it, let me give you an illustration from science, okay? When a mommy and a daddy love each other, their germ cells come together. And when the germ cells come in contact in the mother's womb, 50% of mommy's DNA, it literally unzips. 50% of daddy's DNA unzips. And they come together and the DNA strands, 50-50, are intertwined and zipped together into a new, brand new, uniquely identified genetic code. Isn't that amazing? From the moment of conception, that baby has its own DNA. It's not mommy 2.0, it's not daddy 2.0. Two have become one. An, in an inseparable, 
permanent union. And so the intertwining of DNA in the womb is God's artistic illustration to the world of what happens spiritually in marriage as two partners become one. And the reason why this picture is so powerful is because marriage is not meant to be separated any more than your child's DNA can be unzipped and given back to the parents. Marriage is a divine design. The design is a permanent union. Therefore, look at God, look at Jesus' conclusion. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What who has joined together? God is the joiner. And this is crazy. Jesus is just dropping bombs here, right? Not only is God the designer of marriage in general, but when two believers come together in holy matrimony, it's as if God himself is at the altar. There is a third party present at the altar. And as these two individuals give their vows, he's there, present. And he is zipping them together spiritually. God is the joiner. So therefore, he says, if God is involved in the doing, then Pharisees, you should not be so casual and so interested in undoing. If God is the joiner, Pharisees, why have you allowed the unjoining to become so easy, so casual, so flippant? But Jesus has already revealed the answer. Unfaithfulness already exists in their hearts. They have hard hearts. This is Jesus. This is how he responds to their debate. And we see that when we seek to examine the laws, he wants us to examine our hearts. That when we come to him debating the outs, he calls us to review the design. And that's the end of the conversation for the Pharisees. That's all they get. That's the end of the conversation for the Pharisees. But not for his followers. Because they still have some questions. As I'm sure many of you do. So let's look at the last part here in verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. We're talking about adultery? Jesus, we were talking about divorce. We, adultery? You see, our final point, Jesus locates unfaithfulness at the heart level. Jesus locates unfaithfulness at the heart level. And so here we are. I want you to imagine, right, the Pharisees are walking away, and they're hot and bothered, right? They're in a huff because they were, they were trying to get Jesus, and he's that wiggly, rascally rabbit, right? And they just can't nail him down, so they walk away in a huff because he schooled them again. But the disciples' face, can you imagine the disciples' face? It is not lost on the disciples' that the posture of their teacher is radically different than the prevailing culture. I imagine they're shocked. 
I imagine they're stunned because they know the man who they are following, the man that they said they will follow to the ends of the earth, it is not lost on them that Jesus treats this marriage union with a way different level of gravity and importance than what they grew up with and what society does. Wow. So what do they do? It was just as countercultural then as it is now. You guys got to hear me this, right? We, we tend to think, well, it's just different then, because back then marriages were together, but now it's different. It was what Jesus is saying was just as countercultural then as it is now. And so what happens? Well, Mark shows us, as he often does, that there is a huddle in the house. The Pharisees walk away, but the disciples, we go, we go back to headquarters. We go back to the clubhouse. We lean in at home, and we have some questions about this issue. And so they ask him for further explanation about the matter. And I got to pause there, friends, because this might be one of the most important parts of the whole passage. They huddle at the house. They huddle with Jesus back at the house. And here's why that's so powerful because it means they're not walking away. Hundreds of people walk away from Jesus when the sayings get hard. Hundreds of people move on and go, yeah, who's going to follow that guy? But Mark is showing us that true disciples don't walk away when Jesus' teachings get hard. True disciples, they go back to the house. And with tears in their face, they lean in and they know, yes, this is hard, but you alone have the words of eternal life. Yes, this is hard, but where else can I go? What other ideology, what other religion, what other talking head out there can offer me the hope? So yes, I know it's hard. I, you're, you're true. You are good. And so Jesus, and they lean in, and they wrestle, and they question because they trust him. Will you come back to the house, friends? Will you walk away from this teaching and go, ah, oh, Jesus, what are you talking about? Or ah, oh, and just explain it away. You can trust him. And he won't let you down. And so they ask him, Jesus, you got to talk me through this. And so he unpacks it even further. Look what he says. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Let's pause here. Does this sound familiar? Where else in the Bible, where else has Jesus expanded the definition of adultery to the heart level? Where else in the Bible has Jesus expanded his definition of adultery to the level of the thoughts and intentions of the heart? Think about it. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Matthew 5, 28, he says about lust. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Well, technically, Jesus, I didn't do anything with him. Technically, I didn't do it. And he goes, no, 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 no. Hey, for Jesus, unfaithfulness and adultery happens at the heart level. And so here's what he's saying. If you wander with your eyes after another, you've committed adultery in your heart. And 
if you wander from your marriage to go and be with another, you've committed adultery in your heart. And then notice how he says it both ways, right? If she leaves him for the same reasons. Let's look at it one more time because this is so important. We've got to understand this. If you are putting your eyes on another person who's not your spouse, that is adultery. And if you are ending your vows in order to go and be with another, that's adultery. That's what this means. This is what the Pharisees were doing. Friends, listen to me. Their hearts had already wandered. They already gave up on their union in their hearts. And now they're just looking for legal ways to justify their unfaithfulness. They are casually breaking their vows. Why? Because they want to be unhitched. And they want to be able to play the field. And so Jesus says, let's just call it for what it is. They're committing adultery against their spouse. Let me give you a real life, real world example, illustration. So I had a friend, a married man, two kids, and his friendship with a woman became inappropriate. Nothing physical, nothing sexual. You would call it an emotional affair, okay? And so it becomes... It's just, it's inappropriate now. It's, it's too close. And his heart, in his heart, he had already gone after her. You know what I'm talking about? In his heart, he's already moved on from his spouse. And so what does he do? He divorced his wife. He left the kids. And he married the second woman. But get this, here's the kicker. This is what he said. But they didn't sleep together until he was married to her because they wanted to do it right. And the question is, did he do it right? Did he do it right? Technically, he didn't sleep with anyone and his wife. And let me just, I got to be careful because... I can't even examine people's hearts. Jesus is the examiner of hearts. And so I don't even give this illustration to judge. I, I don't know what's in his heart. I'm just doing my best as an illustration to apply what Jesus is teaching, okay? But, but I, would, I would think, perhaps, that Jesus would say to him, yes, the law says that technically you didn't commit adultery. Yes, you utilized your legal loopholes to perfection. But while you were busy examining the law, Jesus is examining your heart. And I think Jesus would say to my friend, you need not bother seeking legitimate loopholes to your covenant because God sees your heart and he sees your desire to be unhitched and free to go find another. He undermined God's design. He wandered from his marriage and he committed adultery against his wife. Whoever divorces their spouse to go be with another commits adultery. You see, they're here debating Moses. They're here debating the legal law. And I already said, right, Moses was not intended to prescribe divorce. It was meant to put a limit on it, and it did it in a few ways, right? When they had to write a certificate of divorce, that was a form of accountability. You need to state a reason. There's no rash decisions, no off the cuff. You need to slow down. And think this out. 
If you continue to proceed, then he says, here's what you need to do. You need to give her the certificate of divorce because that's going to be a safeguard to her in a culture where women had no social power. And so she's now free to go and remarry without ever being accused of unfaithfulness because she has a paper trail. You left her, okay? And then it also said, remember, if that woman now becomes single and available on the market again, no going back. You don't get to go back. It's permanent. And it uses a metaphor, a land metaphor that doesn't translate well to our culture, right? He's not calling women undefiled. He's saying that that land is now inaccessible to you, just like a defiled land that you can't enter. He goes, that it is as inaccessible to you as a defiled land. There's no going back because Moses is trying to discourage men from breaking their vows to the wife of their youth for the flavor of the day. And so he goes, it's not about Moses. We're going back to the design. So as you can see, friends, Mark 10, this purpose, the purpose of this text is not to answer, can I, can't I? Nowhere in this passage does Jesus answer the what if scenario questions. It's quite the opposite. Jesus wants to challenge our hearts. What is our truest, deep down motivation for asking those questions in the first place? And, fellow Christian, listen to me, and if in that process of examination, if our good and insightful Savior finds hardness of heart, if we find seeds of unfaithfulness, if when we're being honest and we look in the mirror, if there are wandering eyes and a, and a, and a waning commitment, if Jesus exposes the root of our questions is just the desire to move on, he gently walks us back to the design and he reminds us, let's not separate what God has put together. He calls us to an unbreakable faithfulness to our vows. He calls us, his people, he says to the family of God, don't chip away at what I've super glued together. He calls us to lifelong, permanent commitment through thick and thin that can demonstrate to the world the greatest love in the universe. Jesus' unbreakable commitment to his people. Friends, our marriages in the kingdom of God become parables. They become living illustrations that tell the world, look how much God loves us. Jesus will never divorce us. Jesus' love is never fickle or faithless. Jesus' affections will never move on from us, even when we're ugly and unlovable. And so church, let's not separate what God has put together because the greatest sermon that you'll ever preach about Jesus' unbreakable love for his people is your lifelong permanent marriage to your spouse. Let's not separate what God has put together. That's the passage. Can we go to the house right now? Can we run back to Jesus right now? Here's what I want to do. I want to, as, as a pastor, as your pastor, as an elder, we have some questions, don't we? What do you do when the ethic of society is so radically different from what he just taught us in the kingdom? 
What do you do when your own experience is so different from the ideal blueprint of his design? What do we do now? How do we trust Jesus? And so here's what I want to do. I want to answer some questions. And let me speak to some different people in this room, okay? First, I want to talk to those of you who are single and or engaged. Here's what you need to take away from this passage. Marriage is about so much more than hashtag adulting. Okay? There's nothing flippant about this. Friends, marriage, single people, listen, marriage is a divine design. So let Jesus reign over your dating life. Divorce is not an option in his design. So choose wisely. And all the married people said, Amen. Choose wisely. Commit to God's design in your heart. And let me talk to the single people out here who have given up on marriage. Because you're like, y'all, it's broken, man. I'm never getting married. It's not even good. The divorce rates are the same in the churches in the world. All fooey. His design is good. And nothing is impossible with God. And by the grace and power of God's spirit, you can have a God-glorifying, healthy marriage marked by commitment and sacrifice and faithfulness. So single people, Get married for the glory of God. Choose wisely because this is a big deal. All right, second group. I want to talk to those of you in the room who are the injured parties of divorce. This, this category is very real in my family, okay, in my, in my family of origin. So those of you who were left, to those of you who were on the receiving end of broken vows, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And I know how hard it is to talk about marriage and divorce because you're like, I'm the victim here, it feels like. And what I want to do is I want to encourage you, I want to remind you of Genesis 16 where Hagar was kicked to the curb by her baby's daddy, Abraham. She's not singing Father Abraham, had many sons, right? Kicked to the curb with her kid sent into the wilderness, and she's feeling neglected, abandoned, and alone. She said she wanted to die, but listen to me, friends. God met her in her pain, and he revealed himself to her, and she says, I now know that this is the God who sees me. God sees you. He's with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It doesn't matter how many people leave you. God will never divorce you. He'll never abandon you. I want to talk to those in the room who have initiated divorce and remarried another. I get it. It is never as neat and clean as a one-sided ordeal, it feels. right. It's often not as neat as that. But here's my call to you from this text. Own your part. Own your part. Where were you hardened and unfaithful in your heart? Let the excuses, let the justifications die on your lips and just come to Jesus in humility. Open up your arms and let him show you what's in your heart. And I know what you're thinking. Hey, that's old news. That's ancient history. Why would I even go through that again? Why explore that? Friend, listen to me. It is worth exploring because any lordship issues that existed, any hardness of heart that existed is going to pop up in other areas of your life if you don't repent and let him change you. 
including in your new marriages. Ask Jesus to cure it. Come and trust him. He will show you your heart with perfect honesty and perfect gentleness. He will show you your part with perfect truth and perfect grace. Jesus and Jesus alone can look at your heart and show you yourself without condemning you. And so I gave our other friends Genesis 16. Here's my, my, my passage for you, John 4. Jesus is at a well and he meets a woman who has divorced five men. And by the way, the man she's sleeping with now is not even her husband. And so unless you're on number seven, you're all right. He doesn't mince words. He tells her in perfect honesty, yeah, here's what you're going through. And yet he loves her. He speaks with perfect honesty, and yet he loves her, and she finds grace and forgiveness and mercy in the arms of the Savior. Friends, there's grace. But God hates divorce. I know you've heard God hates, yes, he does hate divorce. God thinks it's tragic when two people that were meant to be inseparable come apart. He thinks it's tragic. And how many of us are going to disagree with him? Yes, it's tragic. God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate you. Come to him. Come to the one who gave his life to make you his. Come to Jesus and let him replace any hardness of heart with a soft one. Let him do surgery. Let him cut out any unfaithful parts and he will transform you into a faithful spouse. It's what they said about Aslan. They said, sir, is he safe? And they said, no, he's not safe, but he's good. Jesus will do surgery, friends, on your heart and it'll hurt but he's good and you can trust him. If you're remarried, commit to honor God's design in your current marriage. If you're remarried, commit now from this day forward and forever, commit to God's design, an inseparable union and what God has put together, let not man separate. I want to talk to the married couples in the room. This is a call to look at your heart and prioritize your marriage. I get it, friends. I know. I know what it's like when you start approaching the divorce discussion. I know what it's like when you start saying, maybe not out loud, but you're like, well, maybe we should just. If we are approaching divorce discussions in search of justifiable ways out of our marriage, we need to realize these passages are not about can I, can't I. That's the Pharisees' mistake. These passages are calling us back to align our hearts with God's design. He designed marriage to be a lifelong covenant that reflects his unbreakable devotion to his people. And so married people, this is a call to fight. This is a call to not give up. This is a call to delete the divorce conversations from your inbox. And yes, I know it'll be hard. Yes, it's going to be a fight. It'll be a big fight. You might need help. You might need counsel. You might need wisdom. You might need counseling. But fight by the power of the Holy Spirit for God's design. And you know what? The same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. And he has the power to resurrect dead marriages back to life. I've seen it, friends. Married people. Have you allowed someone who is not your spouse to become an emotional safe haven for your heart? 
cut it off and run. Bring it into the light. Don't be naive to how the enemy wants to undermine your unity, the emotional intimacy of your marriage, and destroy your vows. Married people fight by the grace of God. And then lastly, I want to talk to those of you in the room, anyone who is in an unsafe marriage, you need to step away and seek help, okay? You need to step away and seek help. Sometimes pursuing God's design for unity and reconciliation requires space, professional help, and a safe distance, okay? And so never allow your desire for unity and God's design to put you into a situation that's just not wise. And if that's you, hey, elders are here. Email us, text us, call us. We have resources and support networks here, okay? Yes, we know God's design, but if you're in an unsafe situation, you need to step away, okay? At least for a season. And if we follow this word, friends, we will be a church where we say, let's not separate what God has put together. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We trust you, and we know that your word is good. And so examine our hearts, lead us back to the design, and give us faithful hearts, I pray. And Lord, I just lift up right now for every hurting heart in this room, Lord, for all of us who are feeling the sting of scriptural surgery. It hurts, but don't stop. Father, it's challenging, but don't give up on us. As we lean in, as we ask questions, as we wrestle, as we ask you to unpack it more, shepherd our hearts in ways that only you can. Thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that even though we fall so short of the design, you don't cross your arms and give us a huff and roll your eyes. You save us. You change us and transform us. So please don't give up, us, uh, give up on us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Maybe keep in step with the spirit so that we can obey you. We love you, Lord. We really do. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Friends, I just want to end with one final note as you stand to your feet. We're here for you. If you have any questions, if you have any follow-up, if you need to talk to someone, your elders are here, your church staff and leaders are here. There are numerous, numerous people in this congregation, healthy marriages, who would love nothing more than to come alongside of struggling couples. Get help. Don't walk away from this word and go, all right, I'll figure it out. Let's do this together. Let's be a community that responds to God's word together. Let's respond in song. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.